0: Blob Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon. And this is another rather impromptu show uh, without a lot of uh, uh, forward advertising for it. Uh, But lately, when something strikes me um, and I have a, a, a rush of uh, what feels like creativity lets me focus on on things in a somewhat different way it becomes a motivation to uh, create a story and today's story is entitled stories about the psychotic landscape and uh, let me first explain uh, what that concept is and and where it comes from uh, I should say, there's a, a a woman who was a former student of mine who follows my show. Uh, sometimes uh, she gives me even lengthy uh, uh, responses to it, which I always appreciate. Uh, I appreciate any responses to my show, uh, some of them critical, some of them informational, but are mostly interesting. And... She reminded me that I had used this uh, term uh, when I was teaching, and she was a student of mine. And I used to use that concept, and what happens? It it sort of falls away. I forgot about it. Let me tell you the incident, the 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 thing that created the concept in my mind, the psychotic landscape. Um, At that time, I was a supervising psychologist. Uh, in Flushing Hospital in Queens, and I was supervising uh, a therapist, a young therapist, social worker therapist, uh, who had a teenage girl that she had been working with who had suddenly gone into a crisis. And the crisis uh, involved a tremendous increase in anxiety, confusion, rage, anger, uh, and all kinds of thrashing about behavior, desperation uh, to, um, uh, uh, in response to all of the the event that I'm going to describe in a moment, uh, that was very alarming to her, and we discussed it, and the source of the the so-called breakdown, because that's how it was handled. It was looked at as a breakdown, something had gone wrong in her mind, and while the um, the the uh, lie that this was a brain problem at that time had really not been ratcheted up by the uh, drug companies and the psychiatric establishment, that part of the mental health industry, um, it could be seen, the breakdown, as an internal problem related to some kind of crisis in her life, which, in fact, it was. The problem is that... Uh, discussion was that would she have to be put on medication? Would she have to be hospitalized? Uh, And as I've said so many times on my show, uh, what what ends up is that something is seen as wrong within her and that um, there's a sickness and something needs to be cured. Um, And all of this ends up with not understanding what it was she was experiencing and why she was experiencing it. So what was the event that apparently led to this, um, what I called an entry into a psychotic landscape? And again, I don't see uh, what we call psychosis, and I do see people that I would use the word are in a psychotic state. I don't see it as an illness. I see it as uh, a response to life, and given the skills and the and the uh, uh, support and all of the things going on in a person's life, this is what they do as their adaptation. So it is an adaptation that is frightening to them, frightening to the people around them, and doesn't doesn't get understood. So what had happened is that this young lady was an only child, 17 year old, only child. Of a hard-working woman uh, with whom she had a close relationship who was told from the time she was an infant and could understand language that her father had died one day she's home from she came home from school and as she was preparing to do her homework the doorbell rang her mother was out at work and she opened it and there was a gentleman who said he was her father Now, her first response was to deny this, and we'll talk about that as as a response. But within about five minutes, this gentleman had convinced her, and it turned out there was much proof and ultimately confirmed by her mother after the mother had heard the story that he was indeed her father, that she had married young, and she married a man who got involved with drugs and, and uh, the drug trade and violence and had ended up with a long prison sentence. And for the mo- a number of reasons that the mother had fear that uh, this information would damage the daughter, um, worry about the genetic implications of, of this father being her child's you know, parent, she had entered into this lie and never corrected it. And it was this event that created all of the change in her behavior, along with the emotions, the powerful emotions of anxiety and and rage and acting out and all of the things that were really very scary in many ways and threatened her existence. But the, the, the understanding of this is necessary to understand what might be done to help her. So, I want to talk about the elements in this from the same theory I've been using of late, what I call psychoevolutionary analysis. Uh, a piece of psychoanalysis, a piece of, of evolutionary theory. Uh, what goes on individuals and between individuals, trying to piece together a larger set of variables that explain who we are and what we are, all of us. Human beings, I used to ask this question to my students, why do you think that human beings have the longest childhood of any animal? And it's an interesting question. And it used to get all kinds of interesting answers. But the answer that usually emerged from our discussion about this in our class was that to become a human being in a physical and social environment is so complex that it really takes a very long time to learn how to become a successful human being in any given society and I'm not going to deal with the word successful here now uh, this young lady was successful up until the 17th year when the door knocked and and, the, and she opened to find out that the person she trusted the most with her life with the information and the skills she was to learn to become a successful member of a society um, was a, 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 a false, it was a lie there is we have evolved as biological creatures during for this period of childhood very powerful emotional bonds uh, and these bonds we call them love we call them uh, uh Need, we have all kinds of words for them. Uh, When the most, the overwhelming number of human beings, particularly the female half, look at their newborn child, there is a tremendous rush of hormones that affects their brain. And even if there was anxiety and doubt about becoming a mother, that's the end of it for most. And our expectation is That parents, especially mothers, are going to be completely loyal to their children. And that ultimately the children will develop a trust, a powerful trust on the mother, which is a necessity. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, It's a reward in many ways for becoming a parent and for being a child and a human being. The more complex any animal, the longer the childhood and the more complex the life is, the more this bond, the bond between parent and child, especially mother and child, and I'll talk about fathers in a moment, uh, uh, becomes important. There has to be trust from the person who has to learn to become a successful individual, and a loyalty from the caretaker to the child. It has to be. And for most of us in our very complex society, uh, our parents decided, evolved through a culture, that they alone can't provide the skills and the knowledge, the facts of, of existence that will allow of their child to become someone who can become self-sufficient, stay alive, and ultimately, if they choose, and most people do, have children of their own. This is all programmed genetically. Otherwise, we would not survive as a species. Most mammals have similar bonds, but not the intensity or the long-lasting quality of the trust and loyalty between adult and child, and so in addition we have teachers, and we have uh, clerics who teach the supposedly uh, teach the moral aspects, and morality is a very important aspect of survival, because to break the rules of the culture in which you live, leads to terrible punishment and damage, ultimately, if enough people break these rules, to the society itself, to the culture itself. So we're talking about something that's very, very necessary. Fathers, in most cases, develop similar bonds, but usually not to the intensity of the mother, the female. Usually, Uh, one of the changes that many sociologists and psychologists recognize today is that in our society, in American society, in Western society, more and more men uh, have given up the hunter aspects, some of the hunter aspects of uh, uh, keeping the family alive uh, and holding uh, in control The uh, sexual desires that make them want to impregnate and put their selfish genes into any female that would want them. So there has been an increase we can see of loyalty of husbands to wives or or men to the mothers of their children uh, that For most people, for many people, such as myself, and again, this is personal, find gratifying, find important. All kinds of complex stuff here. But I'm hoping you see through this discussion the main point is that children, human children, cannot survive without a culture, without members of a larger tribe which brings some of the political aspects of this discussion that I'm gonna talk in a little while, talk about in a little while. They can't survive without either becoming a danger to the culture or a danger to themselves. It's necessary for us to have a set of facts. Let me give one small area that has led me to a kind of a, a uh, small crisis of, 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 uh, and many people that I know. Um, I was taught that healthy food involved meat, as much meat as was affordable to put on the table. Um, uh, vegetables, but vegetables weren't a major uh, uh, food uh, to be given to us. Um, good bread, and uh, eggs, eggs, cheese, right? Uh, Dairy was a treat and given as a necessity to a healthy life. All of a sudden in my 30s, I discovered uh, through supposed research um, that of all the foods I could eat, eggs were the worst, because cholesterol had been shown to be a, a um, source, a possible source, of heart disease. And with this heart disease in my family, uh, I gave up eggs immediately. It was painful, but I accepted the information that was provided because I had alternatives. Yeah, I could give up eggs Uh, I reduced my intake of cheese, but I continued to eat meat, potatoes, some vegetables. At that point, I was in a kind of a psychotic landscape, but I had alternatives and ultimately believed the facts provided by the science. Well, as time went on, and I'm not going to spend the entire uh, show on this, it was discovered that the studies that were done were flawed, seriously flawed, and that eggs and other foods that were the staple of hunter-gatherers and seen as a treat would really be very uh, uh, unlikely to be dangerous. And it turned out that the cholesterol... Thing was a piece of an understanding but it was made into something that it shouldn't have been made into well the next thing I learned is that meat caused cancer I mean it goes on and on and on Uh, I remember a discussion I had with my internist the man that I was very friendly with and and who I trusted because again the word trust here is very important you have to trust the source of information because what is involved here is your survival. We're not talking about what I like or dislike as food. It's not taste. It's survival. And if eggs are going to kill you, then you don't eat eggs. If eggs are good for you and it will extend your health, but that's a fact that has to be accepted as a fact. And facts are sometimes very hard to prove one way or the other. It's very difficult to find good facts that will endure over time. So I had this conversation with him when, when it became clear that uh, eggs, by themselves, w- were not a dangerous food. So I said to him, "Can I have one egg a week?" He said, "Yeah." I said two eggs a week." He said, "Sure." I said, "Better having an egg every day." He started to laugh. I said, "How about two eggs every day?" Uh, we laughed because we realized that we had been caught up in something. And what we were caught up in was a belief that this could kill us, so that who we trust for what facts and the validity of facts are vitally important to our survival. What happened to this young woman at the moment she found out her mother had lied, A profound, basic lie justified by the mother's belief in what was really good for her child was to throw her into a situation much worse than I found myself when I was told eggs were unhealthy or that meat causes cancer. A confusion, who to believe and what. When you find out that parents, the people who love you the most, to whom you trust the most, and to whom you expect the greatest loyalty, are giving you wrong facts, you have to understand their reasons for doing it. But then, who do you turn to for that information that allows you to survive? See, I'm going to, there are other reasons you need good information, but basically we are information-seeking animals because we need to survive in a physical world and we also need to be able to survive and negotiate a very complex social world. I've given a number of these discussions uh, on the air, uh, on on podcasts, about the anxiety I experience when I watch the world become increasingly complex. There's no way to hide from the increasing complexity of it. And last time I talked about the fact that one of the political things, discussions that has to start taking place, is what do we do about a world in which jobs are disappearing and will not come back unless we make them come back because robots and artificial intelligence do the jobs better? A source of massive anxiety for many millions of people who have lost their jobs and have no sense of of pride in a livelihood because a machine took it away. And this is a discussion we just don't have because the powers of almost everyone in the world, the powers that be, have determined that these machines represent progress. The fact that they also represent increasing profits for smaller and smaller numbers of people who have gone from being millionaires to billionaires and then trillionaires, is something that also needs to be discussed. Who do you trust for the information for survival? And that is the source of of this, anxiety in this young girl. Because anxiety and panic, I talked about many times, is the emotion that says, I have to be able to find out what I need to survive. It's an alarm that goes off. Anxiety of a group of hunters when something moves in a bush is resolved when they see it was something they could have for lunch and bring back for the dinner of their families or something that's stalking them in order to make them a meal, of them a meal. It's that basic. So this young lady now was in a state where she felt she could no longer trust her mother, the person who she assumed was most loyal to her with the facts of her existence. And who do you turn to? Who do you turn to? The world had been turned upside down. But not merely about whether smoking causes cancer, or not merely about what to eat, or other things that that science can get wrong, or that somebody could tell a lie and you get caught up in it, but for the most basic notion of how to survive and where do you go from here, who do you trust? We have a society, and I'm watching it now, on the political level where there has been a tremendous breakdown of trust and loyalty. And I'm not going to get involved in who the guilty parties are, but it's occurring before our eyes. For this young lady, however, at 17, this was her world. Her mother was her world. Uh... When teachers lie, and not lie because they don't know the facts, but they lie. bald out lie. And don't say things like, well, the evidence shows. Eggs had evidence that was shown based on flawed, flawed studies. If you leave the yolk with the white of the egg, that cholesterol becomes a healthy kind of cholesterol. It's a very different thing than and some kind of uh, artificial glop that food makers now put into food to make it taste better that the body has no evolutionary basis to deal with. This is profound stuff. She flayed around. She got involved with drugs. But she had a therapist. And the therapist had already established a trust with her and was able to bring the mother into the conversation with her. And slowly but surely, she understood the mother's motivation for doing this, and much of her behavior began to calm down. Because she now began to restore a sense of trust in her mother, and understood that the mother had not been disloyal to her for some reason that the mother needed, but because the mother needed it for her. Anxiety, anger towards authority, are responses and part of what I call the psychotic landscape. And I'm convinced after thinking about this, much of what we call mental illness that we treat with drugs involves individuals caught up in situations that they can't manage, that they can't solve the problems in living and satisfy their needs because they lacked the necessary facts, philosophical stances and relationships to be able to negotiate the passages of their life. This is what we do. I am, not, I, I, I am not angry with anybody who told me that eggs were bad for me or that meat caused cancer. It wasn't, in most cases, a bald-faced lie for somebody's personal profit. Although, when the food industry today lies, it is lies. They know. And the drug companies know that they are lying for profit. When I watch politicians lie, it is for the personal gain of staying in office and keeping power and getting the other perks that politicians get. When we, through our evolutionary desires, trust and become loyal to them, that trust breaks down when we see that somebody lies. I am watching now in the wake of the, of the, uh, the uh, Trump, uh, uh, how do I call this, the, the, the interview on the stage with Putin, senators, congressmen, reporters, shaking their head. They are in, A kind of psychotic landscape they don't know what to make of it they search for the motive of that behavior of Trump's behavior all kinds of conspiracy theories emerge as to what it means and who's to blame it is terrifying people who all their lives thought they knew what the rules were and who they could trust, if not personally, then on a social basis, are absolutely in a kind of psychotic landscape. Now, how do people handle it? Well, one way to handle any of this is the first uh, uh, step that my young uh, supervised patient uh, took. Don't believe it. Simply don't believe it. Can you believe that a leader would sell you out? No, can't be. He has other reasons, and we don't know about it. And we won't ask, because when we trust someone who we see as superior to us in knowledge and ability, we allow that. Children do trust parents and their judgment without, taking <laughs> the, without having the ability to question it part of of growing up I've felt for many years is to see one's parents not as powerful figures but as somebody or as individuals who are just human and don't know any more than you do we all know unless we, in order to create the illusion of knowledge, we start making up stories for our survival. It becomes a very complex issue, which I'm not gonna cover today in any great length other than what I've already done. So the psychotic landscape is not a medical problem. It is a social intellectual problem. When there is a rupture of trust from somebody who needs somebody as a leader parent politician teacher and comes to see that the facts they need from the the leader to survive are false when they come to question the motives and the loyalty of the leader and i think this works at all levels of society the kind of stuff we call pathology is very often a product of, uh, that comes from childhood, where there was this rupture between parent and child, between teachers and children. Uh, I remember when the, the uh, scandal began that priests, and not just a couple, were molesting uh, altar boys and, and their parishioners. This was, for many religious people, many Catholics, a step into a psychotic landscape. Anxiety, rage. If you can't trust the individual who gets you into heaven if you confess your sins and live the life that's prescribed by the church, if you can't make that adaptation, whether you believe in heaven or not, Who do you turn to? What becomes truth when the source of truth is found to be seriously flawed, doesn't have the facts, or is motivated to lie to protect or advance their own personal agenda? I think I've made this clear. Um... Interesting topic, and with all kinds of, of considerations. Uh, another road out of the, the, the psychotic landscape, the confusion, the rage, the, the anxiety, the terrible anxiety, because one has to find out, is to become totally cynical and not believe anyone for anything. I know people who say all doctors are on it for just the money, just the money. Are some doctors in it just for the money? Probably. But it's usually a a complex mixture. It's not just for the money. It's because most doctors, at least in my experience, don't want to hurt the people they treat have trouble in many cases, admitting that the treatments are ineffective or only palliative or half effective. Sometimes that's the case, but are not motivated by venality or a desire to advance their own agenda only. And so most of us stay with our doctors and negotiate if we grow up a kind of a uh, 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 move, from, oh, the doctor will save me, or he's merely a son of a bitch, and we continue our treatments, hoping for the best. We remain, with some degree of skepticism, some degree of faith, a mixture to take what we can and do the best we can with our medical profession. Is it flawed like all human relationships? Yes. Yes, it is. Like parent and child, there are inherent flaws in that relationship between the parent's desire for their own needs, for their own survival, and those of their children. And children who need to grow up and move away from the comfort and security of their parents. It's fraught with difficulty. But... Most of us don't turn away from all relationships, whether it's love relationships or relationships with doctors or relationships with some science, because we discovered that science can be very flawed in what we get from science. All of this is truly possible. We negotiate something that's rather complex. And much of the time, it does allow us to survive if not exactly the way we want to and become successful. Not exactly the way we want to. It works. But when there is a rupture, a profound rupture, after the anxiety, either comes blind faith, a, 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 uh, uh, holding on to and denying any evidence whatsoever that there has been disloyalty, or a rage in which you destroy or wish to destroy anything and everything associated with the, the, the person you feel betrayed by, or this deep cynicism of believing nothing from anybody, all of which have consequences in terms of continued adaptation. And continued ability to find some happiness, some meaning in life, Um, all very difficult kinds of situations, and all very common. Anyway, that's enough for today. Uh, I need a snack. We're coming up on uh, cocktail hour, and I have to do some more research on some topics. Uh, Anyway, that's enough I'm looking and I see all kinds of errors in my description of my story today I put in the word between twice my goodness and I really read it four or five times I think I'm losing it oh look at this another one they orient themselves to the world in order I wrote in daughter to survive and prosper Prosper. I wonder if I can change this and make it, clean it up, the the, the language a little. Anyway, we'll see. Otherwise, it's not that important. The meaning is clear. Okay, I'm going to say goodbye.